From executive producer Isaac Saul, this is Tangle. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, the place where you get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking and a little bit of my take. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, some of his health episodes, some of the reactions to those health episodes, what exactly we know and what we don't. We did a little bit of a YouTube video about this and Feinstein and Biden and Fetterman that came out earlier this week. So if you want to go check that out, I encourage you to. Comes with all my emotions spilling everywhere. But today we're going to give it the podcast slash newsletter treatment. Before we jump in, though, I do unfortunately have a quick correction to make. Yesterday, I don't know actually if we did this in the podcast, but in the newsletter we did it. So we have to issue it here. We referred to Bill Richardson as the former governor of Mexico rather than the former governor of New Mexico. Uh, The mystery of how the word new got deleted in our newsletter remains a mystery to our entire editorial team. And as much as I'd like to, we can't really ignore the error. So this one is going to count. This is the 91st correction in Tangle's 216-week history and our first since August 30th. We track corrections and place them at the top of the podcast and the newsletter in an effort to maximize transparency with our readers and listeners. In some better news, today is also an awesome milestone. Yesterday, this podcast broke 1 million downloads. This is an awesome milestone to hit, and I want to thank everyone who has listened to and supported this podcast in the past few years. We have lots of plans for how to make the podcast better. That includes paywalled podcasts that offer some of the Friday edition premium content we publish in the newsletter on our website. We're trying to do more interviews. We have a few already recorded that should be coming out soon that I'm really excited about. I know people really love the interviews and we just want to bring more fresh, awesome content to the podcast. And of course, we want to get better. If you have ideas about how to improve the podcast or anything really, any commentary, feedback, thoughts about new stuff we could do, don't hesitate to reach out. You can email me, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, at retangle.com. And of course, if you haven't yet, please go give this podcast a five-star rating anywhere you can rate podcasts by liking and subscribing and rating the podcast. You help us get in other people's feeds, which is super helpful for spreading the word. All right, with that out of the way, we're going to jump in as always with some quick hits. First up, former Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio was sentenced to 22 years in prison yesterday after being convicted of seditious conspiracy. It was the longest sentence yet for anyone charged in the January 6th Capitol riots. Four other Proud Boys members received sentences last week, ranging from 10 to 18 years. Number two, a federal court struck down the latest congressional map from Alabama Republicans after it failed to comply with the Supreme Court order to increase the voting power of black residents. Number three, President Biden announced Treasury Secretary Jack Lew will serve as U.S. Ambassador to Israel. Number four, a trial began yesterday for two organizers of last year's mass trucker protests in Canada who are being charged with mischief and obstructing police, among other charges. And number five, 61 people were indicted in Georgia on racketeering charges 
after their involvement in an effort to stop the construction of an Atlanta area police training facility. There are new questions about the health of Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. Yesterday, he suddenly froze up and went silent before reporters for the second time in about a month. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is, quote, medically clear to keep up his work schedule. That's according to the U.S. Capitol's attending physician who says he has consulted with McConnell and his neurology team. This after McConnell froze publicly for the second time in five weeks, raising questions about the 81-year-old's health. McConnell is now working behind the scenes to reassure his allies he is capable of doing his job. Sticking in Washington, we turn to the key Republican now questioning if GOP Senate leader Mitch McConnell is fit to serve after that alarming moment when he appeared to freeze at an event. For the second time this summer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, froze for more than 30 seconds while fielding questions from reporters about potentially running for re-election last week. In July, the 81-year-old McConnell had a similar episode, freezing in front of reporters for roughly 20 seconds before being escorted away by his staff. McConnell's aides have blamed the episodes on dehydration and lightheadedness, respectively. During this past week's press conference, an aide approached McConnell after he froze and asked if he had heard the question, then asked reporters for a brief pause when he remained unresponsive. Once McConnell re-engaged, he responded briefly to another question, which an aide needed to repeat to him moments later. Leader McConnell felt momentarily lightheaded and paused during his press conference today, a spokesperson said. On Tuesday, after ordering diagnostic MRI brain imaging, the Capitol physician Brian Monahan released a statement saying there was no evidence of a seizure disorder or stroke, TIA, or movement disorder such as Parkinson's disease as the cause of McConnell's episodes. There were no changes recommended in treatment protocols either, and no explanation of what may have caused the episodes. McConnell, a polio survivor, has been recovering from a concussion he sustained in a fall in March that caused him to miss work for several weeks. Occasional lightheadedness is not uncommon in concussion recovery and can also be expected as a result of dehydration, Monahan wrote. McConnell, one of the most noteworthy senators in American history, is the latest high-profile politician to face questions about their health or age. We've previously covered Dianne Feinstein's cognitive issues and her bout with shingles, whether President Joe Biden is too old to run again, and the impact of John Fetterman's stroke and treatment for depression on his ability to serve. Today, we're going to examine questions about McConnell's health episodes and whether McConnell should step down with views from the right and the left, and then my take. Before we jump in, I want to make note of some agreement in this episode. There is strong agreement on the right and the left that too many members of Congress are unfit for office. Many on both sides are critical of McConnell and his team for a lack of transparency, while commentators across the spectrum have called for him to step down. First up, we're going to start with what the left is saying. The left mostly thinks McConnell's health incidents reveal he's no longer fit to serve as a leader in the Senate. Some worry that if he steps down, the most radical faction of the GOP will seize control of the party and sow discord in the Senate. Others say the response to McConnell's health incidents highlights the flaws in how U.S. society thinks about aging. In New York Magazine, Ed Kilgore warned that the Senate could get very scary if McConnell retires. Let's say McConnell gives up the gig in the current Congress. 
he would be succeeded as minority leader by one of the three Johns, Cornyn, Thune, or Barrasso. Although these are three capable of keeping the money machine McConnell helped build for the Republican Senate candidates humming through another election cycle, it's unclear that any likely McConnell successor will have the influence and authority to keep Senate Republicans together if the 2024 presidential election devolves into another contested result surrounded by threats of violence. The one thing we know for sure is that the Republican Party that lifted Mitch McConnell to power is gone for good, and with it, more likely than not, the prospect of any Senate leader who can square so many circles and embody so many contradictions as this self-described heir to the great Kentucky schemer Henry Clay, Kilgore said. In his absence, the odds are high that the Senate GOP will become as fractious and irresponsible as its counterparts in the House. And no matter who holds the balance of power, that's not good for democracy and stable governance. In MSNBC, Hayes Brown said McConnell is not okay. Even though McConnell's decision to not take time off after the latest freezing incident was meant to be a sign of strength, his refusal to address the issue has brought attention to how difficult it is for Americans to talk openly about aging and the effects it can have. American society fears aging, Brown said. It is a culture that works overtime to stave off death, even while having one of the lowest life expectancies in the world compared to the amount spent on healthcare every year. It is considered taboo to bring up age in a variety of contexts, including whether or not someone is still hardy enough for the rigors of public service after more than eight decades on the planet. That said, there is clearly something wrong with McConnell, Brown added. Even if it's lack of sleep or a reaction to a new medication or something else that's easily treatable. But if he doesn't disclose what a doctor finds, if a doctor finds something, then we'll be left in the dark about one of the country's most powerful people. It remains to be seen what the right course of action should be, but McConnell needs to publicly confront what's happening right now. In the Los Angeles Times, L.Z. Granderson argued that McConnell should only step away from his Senate role based on his capacity to do the job and not his age. A number of health issues can come with age, but aging in and of itself doesn't have to come with health issues, Granderson said. Cognitive and physical decline is a natural progression of life. This much is true. It is also true that the pace of decline is not universal. It isn't tied to a designated number like an exit off the 405. The issue with dismissing someone like McConnell as too old is that it sounds factual when really it's quite subjective. Even in our families, age can mean different things. One elderly relative may not be able to drive anymore, but another can travel solo. If McConnell takes a break from the Senate or steps down, it won't be because of age alone, Granderson wrote. The median age of U.S. senators, now at 65 years old, is older than it was two years ago. The two White House frontrunners, Biden and Trump, are from the silent generation. That may be a lot of wrinkles, but it's also a lot of wisdom and applicable lived experience, in theory anyway. The casual ageism in our critique of elected officials also feels counterproductive in a society that's getting older as a whole. That is it for the left is saying, which brings us to what the right is saying. The right is mixed on the question of whether McConnell should retire from the Senate, though many say he should at least step down from his leadership role. Some call out a double standard for how the media frames the health issues of politicians from different parties. Others say McConnell needs to be more transparent about his health. National Review's editor said McConnell needs to step aside. While McConnell is truly a legend of the U.S. Senate and one of the most effective leaders in memory, the time has come for him to make the decision to step aside from leadership. McConnell has noticeably aged since his bad fall in March, 
when he sustained a concussion and a broken rib, and he should want, for his own sake and that of his colleagues, to go out on his own terms. The details can be left to McConnell, who deserves a large measure of deference. A leadership transition doesn't need to happen urgently, but the wheels should be turning. The time will come for a fuller appreciation of McConnell's legacy, the editors added, but his strenuous opposition to campaign finance reform, effective resistance to the Obama agenda, stalwart refusal to fill the Scalia seat prior to the 2016 election, fruitful cooperation with President Trump on judges, and lately, strong support for American leadership abroad when the winds in the party are blowing the opposite way, easily make him one of the most consequential politicians of our era. Prudence and realism have been hallmarks of his leadership and now are called for in considering his own future. The Wall Street Journal editorial board defended McConnell and called out the Beltway double standard on the health of public officials. You can tell who's loved and hated in Washington by the way they're treated when they have a health issue, the board said. President Biden stumbles through his first term and is tripping toward another, with Naria notice from the Democratic media complex about his obvious physical and mental decline. But McConnell freezes up twice in five weeks before the cameras, and he's supposed to resign forthwith. Washington's double standard on the health of politicians is also something to behold. Even as Biden stumbles repeatedly, blurts out inanities and non-sequiturs, and sometimes doesn't even seem to know where he is on stage, Democrats argue everyone is supposed to ignore his infirmities. It's true that too many people cling to power for too long in Washington, but Senate leaders are chosen by their party colleagues who are in the best position to judge Mr. McConnell's continuing abilities, the board added. If they think Mr. McConnell can still be an effective leader of an increasingly fractious GOP Senate conference, then he should stay in the job. In the Washington Post, Jim Garrity said McConnell needs to tell the whole truth about his health and choose a policy of maximum disclosure. What would be preferable to believe that this episode was just a matter of dehydration or some minor issue that will go away quickly, it would be easier to believe that assessment if it came from a medical professional whose way of making a living did not depend on McConnell staying in office, Garrity wrote. When Ronald Reagan was president in his 70s, his administration recognized that his age would generate legitimate concerns about his health and ability to perform the duties of his office. They concluded the right response was to give voters an excruciating amount of information about his health. Today, the contrast is stark and unflattering. Political leaders can spin a lot of things, but the state of a politician's health can be hidden from the public only for so long. I realize no politician wants to leave office because of health problems, but they're not in those jobs to make themselves feel good and important in old age. They're in those jobs to serve the public. As such, the absolute minimum they can do is provide the public with full and unvarnished information. No minimizing, no begrudging the legitimacy of these questions about their health. All right, that is it for the left and the right are saying, which brings us to my take. So I wasn't expecting to cover this in the newsletter since I've already let a lot of my feelings out on our YouTube channel, but the recent statements from McConnell's office, the Capitol physician, and a slew of commentary from the right and left have forced my hand. First, whatever this is, I do not think it is dehydration and lightheadedness. I was actually out at a bar last night with a few friends when the topic of McConnell freezing came up. And it was funny hearing all the quote-unquote normies who loosely pay attention to politics talk about it. When I was asked about and shared the explanation from McConnell's team, there was a literal outburst of laughter, scoffing at the absurdity of the explanation. It was like a good punchline, which to me is the right response. 
to anyone not mired in this stuff, the idea that this is just an older man who forgot to drink enough water is absurd on its face. But you know what is so frustrating here? We don't know. And maybe McConnell doesn't either. I texted a family member who is both a political junkie and a neurologist about the episodes, and he speculated that if McConnell is experiencing TIA, effectively mini-strokes, his doctors would be a lot more cautious with him and he probably wouldn't be working. He suggested maybe the fall McConnell took earlier this year initiated some kind of epilepsy. This was pure speculation, of course, and neither of us have an informed idea. But in his letter, the Capitol physician explicitly went out of his way to exclude TIA and epilepsy, so my cousin was at least above the target. Speaking of the Capitol physician, there are few doctors who are as vulnerable to conflict of interest as who serve in that position. As Jim Garrity said under what the right is saying, it would be easier to believe the assessment of the Capitol physician if it came from a medical professional whose way of making a living did not depend on McConnell staying in office. I don't put much stock in the Capitol physician's public letter, which reads more like a public relations bit than a diagnosis. So, like everyone else, I'm left with pure conjecture. Here's what isn't conjecture, though. This is uncharted territory. Before the year 2000, the average age of the Senate was never above 60, and it has been ever since. Today, the average age is 64 years old. More noticeably, the percentage of senators over 70 years old has risen from just over 5% in 2000 to 15% in 2010 to nearly 25% this year. Only 10% of the Senate is under the age of 50, and only two, J.D. Vance, the Republican from Ohio, and John Ossoff, the Democrat from Georgia, are under the age of 40. As I've said over and over again, age is not the issue here. Fitness is. But the higher the percentage of our senators, whom are elderly, the higher the likelihood that some won't be fit to serve anymore. And we are seeing that play out in real time, right now, right before our eyes. Perhaps a little bit of this increased average age can be attributed to life expectancy going up, but that impact should be marginal. Life expectancy in the U.S. in 2000 was 76 years old. Today, it is 79. The real reason for the increased average age is that being a member of Congress has become a lifelong career rather than a momentary chapter in one. Politicians are increasingly working in Congress until retirement or until health and age issues force them out. For their part, maybe this is rational. McConnell makes $193,000 per year and has great health care. He and his wife Elaine Chow own three homes and have a combined net worth of $30 million. He's a conservative hero and now the longest-serving leader in party history. The job is cushy. The money is good. The accolades are real. Things have worked out for him. But this can't go on. We can't have people who are in charge of solving our immigration crisis or exorbitantly expensive health care or the runaway debt who can't even answer questions from reporters. We can't have questions of war and peace, literal life and death, being solved by 81-year-olds with mysterious, unexplainable health conditions that randomly cause them to be unable to speak, hear, or move. Or, in the case of people like Feinstein, we can't have members of Congress voting on bills when they don't know they're there for a vote. None of this is acceptable. The obvious answer, supported by 83% of Americans, including 80% of Democrats and 86% of Republicans, is term limits. There are great arguments for term limits, but I've personally been torn on the idea. I don't like removing choice from voters. If they have a representative they love and want to keep putting them in office, they should be able to do that. And I don't like the idea of a constant cycle of rookie politicians in Congress. They need time to learn the ropes and the system. And I don't like the revolving door, the public servants who go straight to the private sector using their knowledge and connections to then corrupt Congress. 
but over the last few years, my position has evolved and become more ardently pro-term limits. I no longer see these potential threats or even the very real harms outweighing what we have now. With widespread gerrymandering and closed primaries already removing so much choice from voters, the power of the incumbency is way too strong to rely solely on voting to remove members of Congress who are unfit, especially when they have six-year terms. And while rookie politicians bring inexperience, they can also inject fresh energy into our aging Congress and create a younger, more representative body. The revolving door is already bad, but ushering in new members would actually make these connections to Congress less influential and less important, which would reduce the kind of agency capture and corruption we have now. Of course, the best case scenario would be if members of Congress stepped down on their own terms. If the culture of Congress were one where people served a few terms admirably, then left. But Congress doesn't have that culture, and we don't have those members, so it's time to do something new. McConnell should step down, but he won't. So Americans are right to view him as the latest in a long list of reasons why we need some kind of reform. And term limits are as good an option as any. All right, that is it for my take, which brings us to your questions answered. This one's from Art in Cedar Park, Texas. Art said, recognizing that PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, have a big influence on our drug prices. That aside, do you think the U.S. is paying the biggest portion of pharmaceutical R&D through our exorbitant drug prices compared to other countries? Okay, so in response to our edition on Medicare drug price negotiations, a reader wrote in with their take on this very question. They said asthma medication costs $375 to $750, depending on the insurance company in the U.S. That same asthma medicine by the same manufacturer costs $100 in Canada and $25 in Indonesia. American consumers are subsidizing the healthcare of the world, they wrote. After I read this, I did two things. First, I looked into these claims and found they were generally true. Back in 2015, the Seattle Times published a Q&A where one of their readers asked why the asthma medication Advair, that cost them $857, was available for $134 in Canada. The answer was that, unlike in Canada, our government is unable to negotiate drug prices. This made me a little more convinced that the Medicare negotiation was a step in the right direction and that maybe we are subsidizing R&D and by extension the world's medication with the exorbitant drug prices we pay here. And then I thought of Donald Trump. Stay with me for a moment. Donald Trump won so much support on the campaign trail and loyalty as president for saying that our allies need to do their share and foot some of the bill for military commitments to stand up to our shared enemies. And in 2020, we found out that NATO allies were spending $50 million more on defense than in 2016. Although Trump's tenure didn't result in a decreased military budget, getting those commitments was a huge step in the right direction. One of the two largest costs in our federal budget is our military, and we've been subsidizing other militaries across the world. Our other largest cost is health care, and I think cutting Medicare costs could be for Biden what military spending was for Trump. Because I do think we're subsidizing the world's health care, not through funding innovation, but by subsidizing the billions of dollars in profits the pharmaceutical industry reaps in the United States. A lot of critics of the Medicare drug negotiation have argued that decreasing profits for big pharma will hurt innovation, but I just don't buy it. I'll ask, in what other industry does the country that's home to innovation centers get hit with the highest costs in that industry? I like the argument we quoted from Howard Gleckman in Forbes that big pharma doesn't do that much cutting-edge research, but instead acquires smaller research companies and markets and manufactures their drugs. You mentioned PBMs in your question, and they are a big reason for our high costs, 
because they're unnecessary and expensive middlemen. And you know what else sounds like middlemen? Companies that market and manufacture work done elsewhere. And when you tell the middlemen to pay you less, that won't cut off their revenue source. They'll just charge other people more. All right, next up is our under the radar section. Two solutions to our situation on the border appear to be failing. First, tensions between the Biden administration and local Democrats are coming to a head as shelters around the country overflow with thousands of migrants being bussed into major cities. In New York, Boston, and Chicago, a humanitarian crisis is unfolding as migrants are being bussed in with not enough resources to handle them. At the same time, the $1 million floating border wall Texas officials dropped into the Rio Grande has not slowed down migrants crossing the river. Instead, migrants have simply worked around the 1,000-foot-long barrier to wade into the U.S. Axios has the story on the Blue State Migrant Crisis, and the Wall Street Journal has the story on the floating border wall. There are links to both in today's episode description. All right, next up is our numbers section. The average years of service for representatives elected to the 118th House is 8.5 years. The average years of service for senators elected to the 118th Senate is 11.2. The average years of service for incoming representatives in the 1800s was just two and a half years, while the average years of service for incoming senators in the 1800s was just 4.8 years. The number of terms served in the House by representatives Hal Rogers, Christopher Smith, and Steny Hoyer is 22 terms. The year Rogers was born was 1937. The age of Dianne Feinstein, the oldest member of Congress, is now 90 years old. All right, and last but not least, our Have a Nice Day story. After returning from a family vacation on the big island of Hawaii, Ami Jewel and her husband were watching the devastation of the Lahaina fires on television when their five-year-old son, Edison, asked them to turn it off because it was too sad. After they explained what happened and why Maui was on the news, Edison wanted to help and suggested setting up a lemonade stand, which the Jewels supported. The lemonade stand opened last Saturday on a busy Seattle street, where the response was far beyond what they imagined. Most people were like, this is so cool, what a great idea, we've been looking for ways to help. We felt so hopeless and didn't know where to donate, Ami said. After a week's worth of sales, Ami and Edison had $17,000 to send to Maui. Good News Network has the story, and there's a link in today's episode description. All right, everybody, that is it for today's podcast. As I mentioned at the top, if you want to watch a version of this podcast or see me break down Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein and John Fetterman and Joe Biden's health, please go to our YouTube channel, Tangle News on YouTube. We've got fresh videos out. Both came out in the last week about this very topic. I think you will enjoy them. And thank you again, 1 million plays, huge milestone today, awesome day. We'll be right back here at same time tomorrow. Have a good one. Peace. Our podcast is written by me, Isaac Saul, and edited by John Law. Our script is edited by Ari Weitzman, Bailey Saul, and Sean Brady. The logo for our podcast was designed by Magdalena Bakova, who's also our social media manager. Music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more on Tangle, please go to readtangle.com and check out our website.